Gar and I, as you know, as we sit here together and, and talk about this, we, we understand accountability and we are accountable for what this team did this year. We don't run away from it. We accept it. Uh, that's that's on us. Locked on Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. For me to be here in the NBA organization, such a historic organization that Chicago Bulls, so it's just a dream come true for me. Live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. This is going to be a process. It doesn't, you'll snap your fingers and it all happens at once, but um, that's the plan moving forward. So kick back, relax, and get ready for the best hour of your day. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked on Bulls, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. We're live on Dash Radio, Dash Radio.com in the Dash Radio app on the Nothing But Net channel. We're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. That's tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, writer of Bulls basketball in the NBA at FanRag Sports and College Hoops over at SB Nation. Along with me is Matt Peck, writer of Bulls basketball in the NBA at FanRag Sports and host of the 312 Show on AM 1590 WCGO here in Chicago. Follow us on social media on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked on Bulls. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked on Shy Bulls. And subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. Make sure you're following the Locked On Podcast Network on Facebook and Twitter as well. If you're a huge baseball fan, maybe you're getting, maybe you're excited about the post-draft uh, conversation that they're having in the NFL. We have all of those shows for you over at Locked On White Sox, Locked On Cubs, Locked On Bears. So make sure you give them a follow as well. Uh, text and voicemail line 331-979-1369 hit us up save that number in your phone is locked on bulls whenever you're listening to the show wherever you're listening to the show interact with us at 331-979-1369 well it is a beautiful monday and i'm hoping you guys had a wonderful weekend and matt the toronto raptors are officially dead (laughs) what's going on bulls nation what's up jordan yeah i uh i i should should have known how stupid it was to sit on this show and actually think that the Raptors had what it takes to get over <laughs> their mental demons and get over the LeBron James hump because that's clearly not happening. What are you? An idiot sandwich. Down 3-0, they're basically dead. Uh, game four is tonight, right? Um, would anybody be surprised if the Cavs sweep this now? I wouldn't. I mean, this I, you got to give LeBron credit. Another phenomenal performance capped by... A high degree of difficulty buzzer beater where he's, you know, sh- you know, falling out of bounds, shooting off one foot, goes high off glass with the perfect bank shot. That's a tough angled shot. That's a tough shot to make in just the regular flow of a game in the middle of the first quarter. But to do so for a game clinching buzzer beater, I mean, it's great stuff. And if you're a Raptors fan, I, I just, ooh, yeah, my heart, my heart aches for you. Bulls fans, as, as you mentioned, Jordan, have been on this side of a LeBron buzzer beater. It's not fun. It kills you. And, I mean, for, for all the hype around Toronto being a one seed and finally having a good enough team and LeBron's team being not good and all the hype around the Sixers being the hot young team in the East, we're looking at Cavs-Boston for the conference finals. And, you know, hopefully that will at least be a good series because we're, we're getting pretty 
two uh, two two pretty one sided affairs in the Eastern Conference semis. I tweeted this out maybe late last week, but I'm just thinking about in reading some comments on Twitter. Obviously, it's going to be sections of fans in the NBA all over that whatever you say, whatever LeBron does, still going to be people out there that don't like him because of the rivalry that maybe he had the decision. Whatever you, whatever the small minor things that you didn't like about. Um, the decisions that he decided to make early on in his career. I mean, it wasn't even really early on, but for me, I don't know how you can sit here and say you're an NBA fan and hate LeBron, or at least can't sit there and enjoy when he, he knocks down a buzzer beater, unless you're a Toronto Raptors fan. I get that. Um, but I saw a lot of Warriors fans chirping and Raptors fans, obviously not happy, but can we talk about that for a second? What is this Raptors team going to do? Let's say they're not, like 3-0 is pretty much a death sentence in the NBA. So what what should the Toronto Raptors do? Because I think they're in a weird spot where, you know, Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, as much praise as they got all season long, for guys that didn't want to take the final shot on some of these key plays, guys that have had, you know, they need important possessions from their all-stars, and they're coming up short. And for a team that comes into the number one seed, LeBron's worst team in Cleveland, and you're down 3-0, you lost two games at home. Like, this is, I don't know what the Raptors are are doing, but they're in a unique, special type of NBA hell that um, I, think the Bull, I think Bulls fans for the majority can kind of relate to, but... It's sort of unique because DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, to me, don't act like superstars. When it comes to playoff time, they don't act like superstars. So me, for me, Matt, say the Raptors do end up getting bounced out, which is more likely than not. What do you do this summer with that team? How do you approach another season where you couldn't get it get past LeBron um, and it's looking like another year older of this team and you don't really have a lot, whole lot of movement? So do you have any ideas of what the Raptors should maybe do here this I summer? Mean, it is, I, I'm just, you know, I don't envy the Raptors front office right now because honestly, what do you do? You managed to get the one seed this year. You were one win away from being a 60-win team and looked from a consistency standpoint to be the best team in the Eastern Conference all season long. And you get to your LeBron matchup in round two and all of a sudden everything you would accomplish, including getting home court throughout the the Eastern Conference playoffs, just doesn't matter. And you look at their their two big name stars who we talked about coming up small in these playoff in this playoff series against Cleveland so far, and Lowry and DeRozan. Lowry has two more years on his deal, his three year deal, that are thirty one and thirty three million next season and the season after. DeRozan is in year two of a five year deal, and he's due twenty seven point seven, twenty seven point seven, and twenty seven point seven over the next three seasons, each season respectively. So you have two all-star players with all-star contracts, and if, regardless of everything they accomplished in the regular season, if they still just for whatever reason, and let let let's be clear, LeBron's role players have stepped up more in this series with the the Raptors than they were play, than the garbage minutes they were giving him in that Pacers series. Even still. It just seems at this point that it doesn't matter what LeBron has around him, that he has the Raptors' number. He's in their head. They don't believe they can beat him. They should have had game one, and who knows? If they don't choke away game one, maybe they don't lose game two in addition to that. It's just 
I, it's hard to say, yeah, they got to blow this up when you have two of the best players in the Eastern Conference, the arguably one of the best backcourts in the Eastern Conference, and it doesn't matter because, I mean, what what do you do? You really want to blow it up? Those are two player all star players in their prime. It's hard to say you should blow it up when you have two players that good, and you have that kind of hard money committed to them. So what do you do really? Do you trade one of them? Do you trade both of them and tank? I mean, to me, assuming that LeBron is smart enough to not go to the West, there's really no clear-cut answer for the Raptors here because they're going to keep getting to the playoffs and keep facing the same problem. I think that's where I'm with you, too. It's like the Raptors are going to have a big decision to make this summer. And I think more so, I was talking with somebody, like, because they had asked me, like, do you think that they would blow it up, trade one of these stars, maybe two of these stars away, and sort of try to rebuild maybe around DeRozan? Like, Kyle Lowry's not getting any younger. I know DeMar DeRozan is also a little bit aged, like you had said, still in their primes, right in the middle of their primes, but their salary cap over the next two years, even next year, is awful. Like, you, they're owed a hundred. They owe one hundred twenty-six million next year, guaranteed, and then one hundred twenty-one million the following year. So I think for the Raptors, if they're going to try to make any moves this summer, whether it's maybe trying to find a suitor for Serge Ibaka or uh, Jonas Valanciunas, some of these guys that maybe they want to keep Kyle, Kyle Lowry and Demar Derozan still around, but they need to shift some things. And you also have to think too, like. Fred Van Vliet was really good for them this year. Really good for them this year. He's a free agent this year, which I would imagine he's going to get paid by somebody, um, especially to come off of that bench. And I think that's been one of the biggest problems for Toronto is they haven't had a, a bench stopper this this series. And so, to me, I think it's you sit back and you wait to see what LeBron does. And for, the mo- for most of the NBA, it's going to be like that. Uh, this free agency class and sort of what teams do, I think, is going to bag a lot on what LeBron decides to do this summer. Um, If LeBron stays in the East, I mean, man, not only can't you beat LeBron's teams, but then you have a Boston team that looks as good as ever without two of their stars, and you've got a 76ers team who is young, thriving, learning in this playoffs, and could potentially, you know, two, three years down the road be another huge Roadblock for a Toronto Raptors team. I think, like I said, they're they're stuck in this special NBA type, NBA hell that um, I feel like Bulls fans could relate to somewhat. But the clog in the salary cap and the inability for their stars to not step up, like Kyle Lowry, too. I, I just it blows my mind that I was watching that last play with LeBron and. OG Ananobi did all that he could. He got beat at the top of the key, but nobody was there to help. And you see, if you if you take a look at the replay on that last shot, Kyle Lowry's underneath the basket near, you know, 10 feet in no man's land near nobody on that final shot where he should have went over and helped. Not that that would have mattered or anything, but it's little things that you can pick out about these guys that, that you know, separate them from NBA stars and superstars in this league. And I think Kyle Lowry is getting exposed. Um, DeMar DeRozan, I think also he's just playing in the wrong era. Um, He's shown it time and time again that he can be a scorer and be somewhat of a good defender, but it's not working. So I I don't know what the Toronto Raptors do here this summer. Maybe they can get rid of Jonas Valanciunas to a team that would be willing to take on his contract, but they're going to have to give something else with that. Um, So they're going to have to be crafty unless they're, they're our right with sticking this and running this back another year but you know for as good as that they play in the regular season when it when it comes playoff time they just absolutely suck i mean i wonder 
what Raptors fans feel about how, how they feel about that hypothetical of blowing it up. Because, I mean, that's different than the Bulls making a decision to blow up the three alphas and not run that back when they just barely squeaked into the playoffs as an eight seed and had one legitimate star player in Jimmy Butler, as opposed to the Raptors who have two and a high playoff seed in however many successive years now, including the one seed this year. It's the seed, you, I'm, you know, the difference that I'm trying to point out there is, I think for the most part, unless you were some crazy Jimmy Butler stan who thought that you know this, this Bulls team had the potential to be brought back and contend and you know maybe get a top four seed this time around if they didn't trade Butler and let Wade and and Rondo go I I mean if you're a logical Bulls fan I don't think you find your put yourself in that category I think most people even though maybe they were disappointed in the return they got from Jimmy Butler saw the logic in making the trade of Jimmy Butler and to not run that back but that is a 500 basketball team barely squeaking into the eight seed and this is a one seed with two star players not one so to me, I mean, if the Raptors actually blow this up, I'm just so I'd be so curious to see what the overall majority reaction is from that fan base because that's a fan base that has been so close to breaking through and making a, a, a an NBA Finals appearance for years now and just hasn't quite gotten there and you feel like they might be incredulous and unbelievable if they actually blow this up and say, "Okay, so now we're going to start over." I wonder what kind of patience that Raptors fan base would have because it is one of the more frenzied fan bases in the league right now. But would they give the front office the benefit of the doubt to go through a full rebuild to try to get back to relevance when they're seemingly right there and just have this one guy in their way? It, I mean, it's crazy to me to think that the fan base would be on board with getting rid of either or both of those guys when they are perennially a top seed in the east I'm with you and I don't think this Toronto Raptors team is going to blow it up more so I think it's going to just have to be some I would be surprised I would be surprised I think it was just going to be have to be some maneuvering but at the same time so like just to kind of wrap this up I guess one idea here is this summer they have to get really crafty in terms of trading Jonas Valanciunas CJ Miles and Norman Powell combined for almost 30 million dollars in salary cap space if you can find ways to move maybe two of those guys or maybe possibly all three of those guys off of your team in order to clear cap space or maybe to bring on a star or something. But at the same time, to me, it's like, okay, this free agency class this summer isn't exactly superstar loaded in terms of, you know, um, possibilities of where guys are going to go, you know, like the unpredictability, like most of these stars that we were talking about are, you know, we know for, for a fact where they're going to go back to, they're going to resign deals with the same teams, or we have an idea of where they're going to go. Um, so to me, I don't know how you get, how as Toronto is going to be able to recruit a guy. I mean, like, do you trade away Jonas Valanciunas and um, CJ Miles? To me, like, at least Valanciunas is a player. Agreed. At least that guy can play. Like, Serge Ibaka, meanwhile, so Valanciunas has two more years worth, I think, around like 17 and 18 million on his deal. Val, uh, and Ibaka is also under contract for two more seasons at 21.6 and 23.2. And Ibaka was useless <laughs> through these three games of this series. Right. He's been useless. Yeah, you're right. That dude's making more money than Valanciunas, and Valanciunas can actually play. True. If I'm if I'm the Raptors and I'm trying to shed some of this dead weight on our cap, it's Serge Ibaka. 
So if they move him at $21.6 million next season, I mean, there's a couple guys. I mean, they could try and bring in some of these young players, but they're going to have to toss a ton of money at guys. Like, I mean, they could try to snag Julius Randle away from the Lakers, but he's a restricted free agent. I mean, you could play around with the idea of bringing Jabari Parker in. You could play around with the idea of trying to bring a guy like Aaron Gordon in. But these are all guys that are going to command big money. Um, somebody else, too, if you were able to free up some cap space and maybe they, they want to try something different at center or with their front court, um, DeAndre Jordan. But DeAndre Jordan has a $24 million player option, and I would beg to differ that he's going to try and opt out of that. But you go down the list and you look at some of these guys in free agency this summer, like the Toronto Raptors are going to have to get crafty in what they're going to do. And I think they're going to have to look outside of free agency and try to make some deals um, to shake things up on this roster because it's obviously not working. And um, to their to to their credit, just to kind of wrap it up, it is LeBron James, though. Like every time LeBron James is doubted, he comes back and is able to destroy and impress and do everything that people maybe thought he wasn't going to be able to do. So um, it's a weird special type of NBA hell for the Toronto Raptors. And I you know what? I'm just kind of sick of seeing it, too, to be honest with you. I'm sick of the hype, the questioning of, oh, well, is this the year the Raptors are going to turn around? that conversation to me is completely done until they actually do something. So I feel like that conversation from now until the Raptors are able to get to the Eastern Conference Finals um, is a conversation nobody needs to have. I think there's enough proof, there's enough evidence that this team isn't good enough to get it done. Yeah, and I mean, who knows, maybe they can stave off elimination tonight, but I'm pretty sure you'd be hard-pressed to find a majority of people thinking that the Raptors can somehow win game four in Cleveland to send it back to Toronto for game five and try to turn this from a 3-0 series into a 3-2 series and put a little bit of pressure on the Cavs. I don't see that happening. Well, we got to take a short break here on Locked on Bulls. When we come back, we're going to continue our season recap player evaluations for the Chicago Bulls. we got a couple players in mind to talk about, and we'll continue that all week long and leading up to the NBA lottery. And we've got a couple more things in store for you, so stay with us here at Locked on Bulls. We'll be right back. Follow Locked On Bulls on social media on Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck, and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Locked On Chai Bulls. Stay up to date with everything Chicago Bulls at LockedOnBulls.com and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts. All right, we're back here on Locked On Bulls. Here to talk a little bit more about some player evaluations. So obviously at the at the back half of last week's episodes, we talked and went through the first couple guys, uh, season evaluations for the Chicago Bulls. We started at the bottom of the roster, guys like Paul Zipser and Noah Vonley with, with some pretty good discussion about what might happen with these guys and what they did this season. So want to continue that, Matt, because you wrote about Sean Kilpatrick, who was a real late season addition, um, signed on to a three-year contract, and then also Cristiano Felicio, who signed on to a four-year deal. So let's start Let's start with Sean Kilpatrick. Um, interesting, because he came in, played 20 or so games for the Bulls, looks pretty decent, looks very competent, looks pretty healthy, bounced around from a bunch of different teams, but he signed on for two more years with the Bulls on a pretty team-friendly deal. Um, the Bulls obviously struggle with point guard depth. They have it, but it's not quality point guard depth, and especially over the last two seasons. So you look at that, and I look at it as a cheap, cost-effective option, 
in terms of if things like you decide to move on from Jerry and Grant or Cameron Payne doesn't work out as your backup point guard next year, um, you kind of have Sean Kilpatrick in your back pocket, not only to be able to play point guard, but maybe play the two too. And maybe Zach Levine needs a little bit of a rest or whoever else uh, the Bulls will have on this roster to play there. But he's an interesting option. And I think more so than anything, I like his game and sort of a veteran presence who's been around the league a long time. He's kind of one of those journeymen. Um, He's not moving the needle for me or anything, but as a cost-efficient option and a player that can come off and maybe help some of these younger guys along, I think he's I, I think he's a pretty pretty solid option for next year in terms of keeping him around. And obviously the Bulls have him locked up for two more years. What are your thoughts on Sean Kilpatrick? I mean, he was a fun, weird story towards the end of a season that Bulls fans were getting really sick of. And um, at the same, well, yeah, it was Sean. It was Sean, it was Sean Kill Draft Pick, right? I mean, that, that's the nickname <laughs> that he earned himself because the, he came in for, a f- especially there was like a three game stretch where he had twenty plus points and three straight off the bench, and we're all sitting here thinking like, oh my gosh, you know, Fred's actually doing what he can to to tank these games away to try to get ourselves back into a better draft lottery positioning, and th- and there was one game in particular I can't remember who it was against, but where he would j- he just caught fire in the fourth quarter and was like raining threes and driving to the hoop and getting and ones and doing all this stuff, and we're like whoa 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 like why is this guy here and why is he doing this? You're screwing things up, Sean. Um, so it was kind of like a funny story at the end of the season. And he certainly proved himself to be a useful NBA player. And he played uh, almost an entire 82-game season in Brooklyn last year before bouncing around. It was like Brooklyn, Clippers, Bucks earlier this season. But, like, the guy can clearly score. He can come off the bench and be a good scorer. But I just, I mean, from from the Bulls' perspective, yeah, they signed him to a three-year deal. Uh, but it's not guaranteed after after this year. Non-guaranteed this next season, just over $2 million. And the Bulls already have a veteran shooter in Justin Holiday at that position who either they can choose to keep around or try to trade this offseason. And I guess they can kind of do the same thing with, with Kilpatrick because he's a tradable piece that doesn't have any firm money attached to him. But, I mean, like, you talk about guys at the two. Zach Levine obviously has to be the guy at that spot next season. Going to try to, you know see what else is out there who knows maybe the bulls draft a like a, a i don't see them drafting a two guard maybe they take one with that later pelicans pick but even still like you got to get denzel some minutes there i just to me like kilpatrick was a fun story but i don't i don't see him sticking around because the bulls basically just signed him to get closer to the cap floor that that's why he yeah, was here it doesn't really move the needle and i think i think the more plausible option for Sean Kilpatrick this year is the Bulls will see what they're going to do in free agency. I mean, we talked about it in terms of what the Bulls roster could look like. And I mean, there's potentially 13, 14 guys that the Bulls could bring back and have uh, the roster almost full, including those two first round draft picks. Um, he could be a guy that the Bulls maybe decide to flip. I know, like we had said, 2018, 2017, 2018, he bounced around from a couple different teams. Brooklyn, Milwaukee, the Clippers, and then Chicago he finished up. He played nine games with the Bulls. His last five games, he scored 21, 24, 20, 16, and 14. Um, all coming in a range of about 25 minutes. So he's definitely a shooter. He's a guy that can knock down the three, too. Um, he shot no worse than 35% in each one of those five game last five games for the Bulls. 
Um, I think that's sort of maybe the play here is you bring him back. You let him be sort of a veteran presence in that locker room. He talked about how close-knit that the entire team was, and he sort of liked that. Um, It seems like he made a pretty good connection with some of these young guys on this roster, even in the short amount of time that he was here, and he talked to the media about that a ton. So maybe that's what the play is for this front office. They bring him back. He's a cheap option. Um, Maybe he comes off the bench and lights it up next year early on, and you can use him as a trade piece. And if you can get anything for him, anything. But, I mean, are you you playing him minutes ahead? No, no, no. Say the the Bulls do sign David Nwaba. A restricted free agent who they definitely have made clear what they want to bring back. Are you giving Sean Kilpatrick minutes over David Nwaba? I don't think so. They still got another no. year on Antonio Blakeney's two-year deal. Speaking of cheap deals, if the Bulls really want to see what they have with Blakeney and give him more opportunities uh, as one of those two-way players, you you, you want to sacrifice Blakeney minutes to play this veteran Sean Kilpatrick who's an NBA journeyman? No. To me, it doesn't make any sense. I'm with you there, but I... like. Antonio Blakeney's another one, and we can talk about him later, but I mean, if I had to choose right now, man, I think Antonio Blakeney's going to get offered an NBA contract some, somewhere. I mean, the dude was the G, G League player of the year. He was the MVP in the G League, uh, set the all-time points record in the G League. He played pretty decent like in the short spans that he got with the Bulls this season, so the Bulls are going to have to make an option, um, make a decision there because obviously if he doesn't get an NBA full guaranteed NBA contract, he can come back on that two way deal next season. But man, I would not put it out of play that somebody offers Antonio Blakeney a deal. So we'll have to be we'll have to be conscious of that this summer. But I, I'm with you though, Sean Kilpatrick. He shouldn't play over any young guy that you're trying to develop. Um, more so, I think it's just like a roster filler in terms of cheap options as part of the cap. And this is one thing that, like like I said, it doesn't really move the needle for anybody. It's not like it's devastating if the Bulls decide not to bring him back and it's not guaranteed. Or if they do. Like, either way, I don't think this plays into a huge factor of anything that the Bulls are trying to do next season. Yeah, I would agree. Let's get to Cristiano Felicio. This one is very interesting. So Felicio, obviously... In his year with Wade, it looked pretty good. Wade had developed him. It looked like there was going to be some sparks. Um, Obviously, this has been a contract that is extremely, extremely disappointing. Um, It's funny because I think a lot of people forget that this was a guy that Gar Foreman really liked. And this was one of Gar Foreman's hand-picked guys. It was from 2015. He really liked him. Um, showed the ability that he could play with Wade and had some of those sparks. And so they went and Gar Foreman doubled down and gave him that huge contract. And it has been a complete and utter disaster. This year, Cristiano Felicio looked like he didn't come into camp in shape. Um, He battled through a couple different injuries. When he would get into games, he just looked lost. He didn't look comfortable playing. And I don't know if that comes with the combination of the pressure and the size of the contract off of the limited amount of time he did play in his rookie year. Um, He did talk about that a little bit. He said the pressure was, at times, almost unbearable. So I can see it from a guy that's a young player who was given a ton of this money and has worked his way up. We talked about Cristiano Felicio's story, and I really love his story as a player, but talking about the actual player that he was last season he was a hot mess and he was terrible so do you see anything in terms of an outlook this summer what can Cristiano Felicio do coming into training camp this year to maybe flip the narrative around about his game and still hopefully maybe cling on to a possibility that he could be productive or is this kind of like yeah I really don't see it well I mean 
yes, it was a disappointing season for Felicio, and it's not entirely his fault, although he did admit that he came into the season out of shape. So he admitted that he was nervous about living up to the contract and also admitted that he didn't come into training camp in 100% physical condition. So like, And it's not like he was dealing with an injury that prevented him from being in shape. So why wasn't he in shape? So Felicio has to take the blame for that. However, he just really didn't get a, a fair amount of, I guess maybe fair is not the right word, but he just didn't get a significant consistent amount of minutes because when the season began and Miritich and Portis were both shelved with an injury and a suspension, Felicio got minutes. And it was a rocky start because, you know, wasn't in shape, didn't have the pick and roll kind of element to the offensive game that they were doing with whether it was Wade or Rondo giving him those looks last season. He struggled. He struggled to fit in. And then Nico, uh, Bobby comes back. And then a while after that, Nico comes back and Felicio basically just fell out of the rotation. They even sent him down to the G League for a while. So he didn't really get the the opportunity to find a consistent minutes at any point in the season. And when he did get the call because the Bulls were shorthanded, he just didn't have any rhythm to his game. He didn't feel like he was a part of that offensive system that Fred was trying to build this season. So, yes, it was a disappointing first year of a four-year $32 million contract. That's not to say that that is you know that the remaining 24 million of that contract is already you know flushed down a toilet. Felicio can still prove himself next season. He has work to do. Obviously he needs to get in shape coming into training camp. He needs to be in the gym running and lifting this summer. He also needs to work with the Bulls coaching staff on you know kind of beefing up some of those other parts of his game that are still glaring weaknesses. It's not just that he seemed to have lost a step, but he didn't improve on his hands at all. And when he is a rim-running big who needs to be catching those entry passes, whether they're lobs or whether it's just a you know uh, opportunity for him on a mass ma- uh, mismatch on the block, his hands are bad. We knew coming in that his hands were bad. They were bad as a rookie, but they didn't get any better this season. So like, work on the fundamentals of your game that can be the best elements of your game and prove to us that you actually put in some work this summer, and then maybe Felicio isn't a total waste, and the contract isn't a total loss. I'm not ready to call it that yet. He just really needs to do some work this summer. I agree. I think the first two months of the season is really going to be super important for Cristiano Felicio. I think he needs to come out and dominate um, and show not only the Bulls fans, but the front office. Like, this is the money you gave to this guy. Like, this is the kind of player that I am. I think you're right. Step one is coming to camp in shape. Um, This is something I want to talk about in our last segment, but a lot of players on the Bulls already have been trying to low-key, like, show fans and show the front office and show players and people around the league that, you know, we may be in the first couple weeks of the offseason, but we're already working our asses off to try and get better for next year. Cristiano Felicio, I mean, in the, his final 10 games, he had some pretty good stretches. I will give him that. There, He had three double-double, four double-doubles um, to end the season. He played in 24 of the last 25 games. Um, the rebounding at times has been really good. And like you had said, I think one of the the important parts about Cristiano Felicio's game is he had an offensive side of the, of the ball, the, the sort of attacking the rim on the offensive side, the pick-and-roll game. He was really good with 
with Dwayne Wade, and I think that kind of went on the wayside last year. Maybe he was thinking about it too much, but then there's another element to this too, and it's his defense, and I think he's gotten busted a ton this season on defense and looked like a fool, so I think that's... His defense is a train wreck. It's brutal, and it's it's hard when you start stacking some of these guys up on the Bulls, and you know, yeah, they, they can knock down shots, but a lot of these guys, more often than not, we're talking about guys that can't really play defense, so I think that's a common theme to go across this Bulls team, and that's something that collectively as a team, especially a lot of these young guys are going to have to improve on is defense, and you know, you can knock down buckets after buckets and you can shoot 60% in a game, but if you aren't, if you're not stopping the opponent and there are teams out there that'll just light you up, like you could score 115 points and still lose the game by 15. Like that's the type of NBA we're in right now. So I think for him as a big, he needs to stick alongside Robin Lopez for as long as he is here. Learn from him, learn from Bobby Portis, learn from each other, learn how to play well and get to know these point guards too. I think that's a big part of it as well. Cultivate yourself with not only Chris Dunn, but Cameron Payne and maybe some of these veteran guys and work on some things that you can find chemistry with maybe at least one guy to turn some things around. Cristiano Felicio had some nice games towards the end of the season, and that's not saying a whole lot considering who the Bulls played through the last stretch. A lot of the the important teams that they play. No, but I mean, like you, you also can't ignore the fact that when he did, you know, I mentioned the inconsistency as being a part of the rotation until after the All-Star break, when they sat Lopez for that stretch of games and Felicio's minutes doubled, his stats, respectively, doubled. Like, he more than doubled his points and rebounds when his minutes actually ticked up after the All-Star break and he was given a spot in that rotation. So Lopez and what the Bulls do with him next season, whether he sticks around for the full season or he is traded this offseason or he's traded at the deadline, that will have an impact as well on what kind of minutes Felicio is going to see. And, you know, in turn, if he actually shows himself to be worthy or closer to worthy of that contract, and then also not just Lopez, but if the Bulls draft a big. And then where does Felicio stack into the depth chart? Just to kind of finish up here, just a quick look at – Cristiano Felicio's lines, so points per game, between 0 and 9 points, he had 43 games this season where he scored 0 through 9. He only had 12 games where he scored 10 through 19, nothing over 20 points this season. His total rebounds, I think, is something to keep a note on, too. He had 33 games this season where he had four or less rebounds in a game, and he played over 25 minutes, so that's pretty glaring. But like I said, the the last 10 or 12 games of the season, he was grabbing 8 to 12 rebounds a game. He had a flash where he had 16 rebounds, I think against the Houston Rockets or the New York Knicks late in March. Um, but that's also something too. You can't be a big in this league and not be a shot blocker and not be a rebounder. Like you are completely useless if you're going to do that. And Cristiano Felicio is not a shot blocker. He had 45 out of the 55 games where he had zero blocks this season. He only had 10 games where he had one or two blocks. So it's one or the other. I mean, Cristiano Felicio, if you're not going to be a shot blocker and a rim protector, then you have to be a dominant rebounder. And if you can parlay that with some scoring too, that's nice and play a little bit of defense. That's great, but you got to do something like if you're not a shot blocker and you can't be a consistent rebounder, then you're not an NBA player. You're not an NBA big and it's a waste of time to give him minutes. So I'd like to see some improvements there. Obviously a lot of little things to work on. I think the very, the, the most important thing this summer for him though, is to come into camp in the best shape of his life and really prove to people, okay, the nerves got to me. 
last year. The pressure of the $32 million contract got to me next last year. Let's completely erase that from my mind. Coming to camp strong, built, and ready to go. Yeah. And then let the chips fall where they may. It's, I mean, it's a, you know, you might call it a cliche or an overused saying, but control what you can control. And for Felicio, that's the work he puts in this summer. Don't worry about whether or not the Bulls are drafting another big to add to this roster. Don't worry about what people are saying about the bust of a season you just had. Just put the work in, control what you can control, and, and go from there. All right, we got to take another short break here. When we come back, we're going to wrap a couple things up. We just got some Bulls news and notes from the past week or so. Just want to touch on a few different topics as we wrap up the show here. Stay with us on Locked On Bulls. We'll be back in 60 seconds. All right, Matt, to wrap up the show, I just wanted to touch on a couple different things. Um, really not X's and O's related or related to any real players, but uh, a few a few different Bulls things popping up over the course of the last seven days or so. So I want to start with this one. Um, Charlotte's obviously looking for a head coach, and it was made known that Jim Boylan was going to give an, get an interview with the Charlotte Hornets. Now, whether or not he actually gets hired, um, we'll see what happens. But for me... I mean, Jim Boylan's been around with the Bulls for a very, very long time. Do you think that that makes any difference, say, if Jim Boylan was to leave this team, to leave Fred Hoiberg's side? Um, would that change anything for you at all in terms of a coach um, being alongside Fred Hoiberg? I know he was alongside Tom Thibodeau for a long time, too. And even before that, um, do you see anything with this in terms of his him getting an interview and the Bulls letting him take that opportunity. If he goes away from this, does that move the needle at all for you? Or is it like, eh, all right. I mean, it's it would be it would definitely be a hit to the Bulls if they lost Jim Boylan. This guy is uh, a consummate professional with a lifetime of experience, a head coaching at the collegiate level at Utah, and then all over the place, not just with the Bulls, um, filling in occasionally for you know interim head coaching duties when Fred Hoiberg's unavailable, uh, which happened a couple times this season. But he was, I mean, going all the way back to the '90s Rockets, he was an assistant other under Rudy Tomjanovich for those back-to-back Olajuwon champs. He also um, was with Greg Popovich and that San Antonio Spurs staff for quite some time. So the guy's resume as an assistant at the NBA level is pretty immaculate. And I think it's only a matter of time until he gets his opportunity to become a head coach in this league. And, you know, the Hornets have some options. Uh, There are a few other names that have been attached to the rumors there. Jerry Stackhouse. um, Another one. Oh, uh, uh, I mean, I I know Becky Hammond's taken an interview with Milwaukee. I've also heard her name attached to Charlotte. Um, Celtic, one of the Celtics assistants whose name is escaping me right now, Jay, something, Jay Larinaga, I think, is another name being attached to Charlotte. So, I mean, Boylan might not necessarily be the front runner, but if he does get that Charlotte job, or heck, I mean, there are still other openings um, uh, for NBA head coaches right now. I think it's only a matter of time before Boylan gets a head coaching opportunity, and it would be a hit to the Bulls to lose him because he is the most experienced and most trustworthy piece of that Bulls assistant coaching staff right now, which, you know, other than him, I'm not super high so, on yeah, I mean, off Randy Brown. It's pretty interesting. He spent a, 
a lot of the majority of his time, 1992-93 was his first year in the NBA as an assistant coach with the Houston Rockets, spent nearly a decade with them, bounced around a little bit to Milwaukee, Indiana, uh, Sacramento, and then the last three seasons as the associate head coach for the Chicago Bulls. I think it is. Like, the Bulls, for some reason, they've they've liked him, they've kept him around, they kept him around after Tom Thibodeau was here, and to sort of pair with Fred Hoiberg, which I think for a lot of reasons, a lot of people found that kind of weird to keep on the assistant coaching staff and not letting their head coach bring in his own staff. But it seems like it's worked out pretty well for the Bulls so far. Um, I think the jury's still out on that one, but you're right. I think it's only a matter of time before he does get a head coaching job somewhere. Um, I don't know if it's going to be in Charlotte or not. And the candidates, like you said, that are interviewing for that Charlotte Hornets job and to be honest with you, I don't know, like maybe as a first head coaching job, great, but I don't see any real great head coach going there that is out of a job right now because you look at that team, that team's kind of a disaster. Yeah, it's, it's not a very desirable job. <laughs> no, not at all. So you yeah, outside of Kemba Walker and maybe a few other pieces that they have short term, um, that's going to be a whole hell of a lot of reconstruction they're going to have to do there in Charlotte. But I think you're right. I mean, anytime you lose a part of your staff that especially um, a guy that it seems like the Bulls, for the most part, have high praises for. Um, if the Bulls were to end up losing him, I think that would be a little bit of a hit for Fred Hoiberg's staff. But I, I'm confident that if he does end up going or he gets hired somewhere this summer, I'm pretty confident that maybe Fred Hoiberg will find somebody else to come in, um, maybe somebody more to his to his liking, maybe somebody that he had, um, had in mind when he first got hired here in Chicago. So... I wouldn't be too worried about it. And another factor, too, is I don't really think he's going to get the job, but uh, that might still be uh, the jury's still out on that one. So, um, yeah, very interesting, I think, to especially for the Bulls to let him go there and take the interview. So we'll see what happens with that. Another note, Matt, I wanted to make um, about the Chicago Bulls this summer. So I just noticed especially like looking across social media, um, Bobby Portis and Zach Levine, especially every single day, have made it a note to post videos of them working out, them training. Bobby Portis and Zach Levine has been almost daily. Bobby Portis has been on and off, especially with the social media stuff, but Zach Levine has been almost daily. Like He is making it a point for not only Chicago Bulls fans, but NBA fans to realize like he's going to work his ass off this summer. And I mean... I, I don't blame him like he's going into this contract year where he's got to prove that he's still working hard this summer uh, to become a better player. But I think it's interesting that so early on in the offseason, he's already every single day, whether it's Instagram or Snapchat or Twitter, um, posting videos, making sure Bulls fans and everybody around the league knows that he's working hard and training already. Well, yeah, I mean, he certainly can't be lacking in motivation. Uh, for this off season, and <laughs> that's, that's good. Sure. You know, it's it's good to see him taking it seriously and you know getting a jump start already. Because you think about what the perception has been from the Bulls fan base thus far. You know, other than total, you know, ride or die. I don't care what the product on the floor is. I'm gonna be wildly optimistic. Kind of Bulls fan. We were not all very thrilled with what we saw from Zach Levine. And part of it was a small sample size of games, but everybody in Chicago right now is talking about how this guy might not even be the best piece in that trade that we got uh, for Jimmy Butler, and that Markkinen right now has a higher ceiling than than Levine does, and Levine is not worth a max contract in X Y Z. 
it's not like he he's not hearing those things. It's not like he's not hearing that uh, this fan base of this organization that is you know built around a dynasty and championships and championship expectations hears that that kind of talk that we're all kind of borderline skeptical and somewhat pessimistic about the player Zach Levine can be for us. So there's his motivation right there. And, you know, I I, I still think that he's going to have to negotiate with the Bulls into some probably three-year deal that is absolutely nowhere close to max level money, but he needs to prove himself next season. End of story. Simple as that. So if he wants to make it known to the Twitterverse that he's grinding and putting in that work every day, good for you, man. I don't really care if I see you doing that on Twitter. I just want to watch you in game one of next season and see the evidence. You know, proof is in the pudding, whatever phrase you want to use. I, I don't, if you want to share with us that you're working all season long with, you know, tweeting us your videos from the weight room, fine. You can do that. I don't care about that. I care about the player that Zach Levine is going to be next season. Fair point. Fair point. I care about it because I like to see not only it kind of gives us an inside look into exactly what they are doing in terms of their offseason planning. And it just kind of I think it gives an ins like it. I think there's no negative effect to it in terms of for him as far as his publicity, the way he's building himself up. Obviously, in the media, he's sort of this budding star, and we'll see if his game translates, and I think that's how it transcends him into a superstar. He's got the personality side for it, and he's got the showbiz side for it, sort of the way Jimmy Butler had, but I want to see if he's still got if he's got the work ethic the way that Jimmy Butler had early on in his career to be able to take it to that next level. And obviously, Zach Levine has pure scoring skills and a ton of athleticism, but to be able to transcend into that next step, into that superstar role that he wants to be, I'm with you. It needs to be translated onto the court. So we'll see. But I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta say it's, it's, it's positive. And I like seeing, you know, I like seeing Bobby Portis and Zach Levine and some of these other guys, um, at least posting, keeping fans up to date this summer as far as what they're doing. It's just kind of cool to keep checked in. Um, the final note that I wanted to make, Matt, we didn't talk about this last week, but the Bulls submitted an inquiry about letting Sister Jean represent them at the NBA draft lottery this uh, this upcoming May. And they were turned by, down by the NBA because they said it has to be somebody that's directly affiliated with the team. So now we get Michael Reinsdorf representing the NBA lottery. I think they could have found somebody better to do this, more interesting, more intriguing, especially because it's in Chicago here. Uh, not to say that, like, okay, it's just Michael Reinsdorf, but it doesn't move the needle at all for me. Like, you couldn't have had, like, I don't know one of your players go there. I know Jimmy Butler went there two years ago for them to represent them. Um, somebody other than like a vanilla-ish Michael Reinsdorf coming in and being the representative. I don't know. I like their effort to of trying to spice it up and put a little bit of flair in the NBA being kind of um, a fun spoiler and not letting Sister Jean represent them. But uh, just figured I would throw that out there as well. He'll be representing the Bulls uh, for their draft lotteries. Hopefully he's got a lot of luck in his pockets. Yeah, I was uh, obviously disappointed because it's, you're right, it's just kind of a blah pick for the team's representative. I was thinking it would be great to get to get uh, Lowry to go do that. And um thinking, well, I don't know, maybe he'll be back in Finland at that time or something. I don't know. Or, um, 
or even getting Levine or Dunn or somebody, one of these young players around the rebuild that's a more exciting face for the fans right now than Michael Reinsdorf. But uh, this was brought up in, I think, a recent mailbag that Casey Johnson of the Chicago Tribune, a friend of the show, has uh, was doing. And he said, you know, well, the last time the Bulls took a quote-unquote boring choice to represent them at the lottery, it didn't work out so bad. Steve Schonwald now retired, was an executive VP of business ops in 2008 and sat at that, sat in as the team's representative. And we all remember what happened there. A 1.7% chance turned into the Bulls landing the number one pick and Derrick Rose. So, boring choice, win the lottery at small odds. Maybe the Bulls are trying to do something similar here. Everybody believes Michael Reinsdorf. Uh, believes him to be a boring choice to be representing the franchise at NBA Draft Lottery Night. Replicate history. Make history again with cashing in on, what is it now, 5.3% odds at the number one pick. Boring guy, win the lottery. I'm going to roll with that. <laughs> I can't. Hey, they, you bring up a good point. So I'm with you, though. I wish, I, I wish they would maybe gave the option to, and maybe they did, and we don't know about it. They gave the option to Lowry Marketing or Zach Levine or Chris Dunn, and things just didn't work out. They weren't going to be in the city. It just, for whatever reasons, logistically or not, it wasn't going to work out. But overall, I like I'll applaud the effort um, from whether it was the marketing team at the Bulls, the social media team, whoever it was, to try and push for this as far as a campaign for Sister Jean. She was a hit here in Chicago. She still is a hit here in Chicago, especially with Loyola's run. So it would have been kind of cool. I wish the NBA wasn't a fun sucker uh, in this aspect and would have just let let it happen. Um, but I'm with you. Hey, maybe this boring opportunity turns out to being one of the most exciting nights of our Bulls fandom. So we'll we'll definitely We're have to close, see. Man, I know we are. It's what what uh, t- today's May seventh, and it's on the fifteenth. So we've got eight like- days. Week away, man. I'm excited. I'm crossing my fingers. I'm hopefully, hopefully, every Bulls fan out there is doing every. If you're somebody who's into superstitions, doing every superstition you can think of, um, crossing your fingers, whatever it takes. Hopefully, maybe we can, as a fan base, get cut a little bit of a break here and end up in that top three. It's possible, man. Until it doesn't happen, it's possible. <laughs> well, that's going to about do it here on Locked On Bulls. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked On Shy Bulls, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. Make sure you're following the Locked On Podcast Network on Facebook and Twitter as well. Dash Radio, Dash Radio.com, and the Dash Radio app. On the Nothing But Net channel, we're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. That's tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. Hit us up at 331-979-1369 if you want to jump in the conversation of anything we talked about today or something last week, just something that you want us to discuss further this week. Hit us up there, 331-979-1369. Don't be scared to leave us a voicemail. The number will go straight to our voicemail. So if you've got some thoughts, you want to talk it out instead of text, send us a voicemail. Voicemail, or you can text us 331-979-1369. For Matt Peck, for Jordan Malley, have a wonderful start to your week. Bulls Nation will be back tomorrow with a brand new episode. For Matt Peck, for Jordan Malley, we are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. 
Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com, part of FanRag Sports.